you are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. And one of the things that I love the most about Jenny Kane is how seamlessly all of their staples go together. Their iconic styles truly, truly make getting dressed so easy. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, so think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off. Now, if you love sweaters, Jenny Kane has an unrivaled selection that will become your new obsession. They are known for their super luxe yet lightweight sweaters, and they do cashmere pretty much better than anyone. My Jenny Kane Everyday Sweater is hands down one of my favorite and most versatile sweaters that I own. First off, it is so super soft and cozy, I feel like I am getting a hug every time I wear it. And its wool cashmere blend makes it a great option from fall through spring. For those cooler summer evenings, Jenny Kane also has a great selection of cotton and linen sweaters. And if that wasn't enough, they also have an incredible rewards program where you can earn up to 10% back with every purchase. Find your new staples at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com. So JennyKane.com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. This episode is brought to you by OneSkin, which is my go-to for skincare no matter the weather. Because unlike other products that you need to change up with the seasons... OneSkin products are powered by their scientifically proven peptide called OS1, which reduces the accumulation of damaged aging cells. Basically, instead of masking the issues, OneSkin addresses them at a cellular level, boosting your skin's natural barrier to lock in moisture and help protect against the elements. For a limited time, Birthful listeners will get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code BIRTHFUL when you check out at oneskin.co. And I 100% recommend OneSkin. Not only does it make my skin feel, act, and appear younger, but friends that I haven't seen for a while are taking notice and asking, what are you doing to your skin? It is that good. And I also love their expanding line. On a day-to-day basis, I use one skin prep to wash my face. Then I apply their OS1i topical supplement around my eyes and their OS1 face on my face and neck. Or if I know I'm going to be out in the sun for a while, then I use their OS1 shield, which has an SPF that prevents UV-induced aging and repairs cellular aging all at once. Easy peasy. Get started today with 15% off using code BIRTHFUL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off at oneskin.co with the code BIRTHFUL. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them BIRTHFUL sent you. Help your skin stay younger and healthier for longer with OneSkin. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about the world according to your newborn. With a very underdeveloped brain that is making over a million connections per second, newborns occupy a unique reality. What do you as a parent need to know in order to tap into their built-in instruction manual? Greer Kirschenbaum has answers. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for your support, all the love you give the show, and your feedback and requests, ratings, reviews. I truly appreciate it. If what you hear is helpful, then make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, Greer. It is so great to have you here on the show today. 
Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. And so it we initially talked like in December. Yeah. <laughs> When I reached out to you since then, like you, you had just given birth and you are, you are living right now the practice theory and practice of having, you know, life with a newborn from your perspective as a neuroscientist. So yes. tell us more about that. And, and actually tell us a little bit about yourself first and then <laughs> end up with your ex recent experience as a mom of a newborn. Yeah, well, that's a perfect ending to the to the story, I think. Um, so, so I'm sort of got, got into this world um, from from academia. So I, I did my undergraduate degree in neuroscience, and was really interested in how experience shapes the brain, especially in early life, and studied that a lot. And then I continued to do a PhD in, in mental health. Um, and experience, um, how, how experience in early life shapes lifelong mental health. And I did that at the University of Toronto. And then I went on to do a postdoctorate fellowship at Columbia University, which um, is an incredible place um, to study uh, infant development and early life experience. There's so many incredible accomplished researchers there. Um, so I learned a lot there too. And I kind of always had in my mind um, an idea that I wanted to bring this kind of knowledge to 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 regular people because we talked about it just as a given that you know mental health is so important and sort of formed largely in early life. Um, but when I got to talk to people uh, outside of of the university setting, people didn't know about this stuff. Um, and you know, it's our public dollars, you know, funding these incredible studies, and they're just not. There's no voice for, for them. So I was really, really um, motivated to do that after after I left Columbia. So I've sort of been spending the past few years um, working with families as a, a birth doula and postpartum doula, and um, also creating um, settings to, to teach um, a lot of this neuro neuroscience of early life. So it's kind of like workshop settings, um, podcasts like this um and sort of any way I could get the information out um and then yeah and then I had my my own baby uh, twenty twenty one 21 weeks ago um and it's been it's been incredible so I always said that I kind of teach the science and the art of of nurture and early life and how that builds the brain um and I'm really really learning the you know, the art form of it now, having a baby all the time. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful, really, really wonderful. Cause it's, um, yeah, it's really, uh, I was thinking the, the other day I was um, walking with my son. I had him in a carrier and holding his hands and we we're just go, sort of going for a walk around the block. And it was just such a beautiful moment. And I was like, I, I'm just sort of thinking about, you know, how wonderful this feeling is, the experiences for both of us. And, and then I was like, oh, yeah, and I'm building his brain. It's, it's cool <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that thing that I've been studying for years and years. Yeah, there's that part. And so yeah, so there's, there's, it's, there's two sides to it. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Can we, I, I want to give a special shout out to the fact that you're probably the only doula neuroscientist in the world. Yeah, I think I am. From what I can tell. I'm if, a, I'm yeah. if, if any <laughs> listeners knows of another one, let me know because we'll put them, yeah. we'll, we'll put you guys in contact if there is another dual neuroscientist. That's so fantastic. I, I love that. I um, would love to meet someone else. So in terms of this, like the meat and potatoes of experiences, experiences shaping the brain, mm -hmm. you know, what do parents need to know about their newborn's brain? Because like one of the things that was really surprising to me that I, it wasn't until I realized that, that I realized this that I went, wait, of course, I've got to like take a different perspective to how to this relationship is the mm -hmm. fact that I felt at the beginning when I was considering and thinking how to interact with a new, my newborn while, you know, thinking about how I was going to do that while pregnant. Mm -hmm. 
it was always from an adult approach, right? So I have to get the flashcards and I have to get the black and white mobile and I have to like simulate their brain and I have to do all these things. Like it was from that perspective. And once I was in it, just a fact of realizing, hold on a second. This baby probably doesn't even know that those hands are hers. Mm-hmm. Like there is so much learning that has to be done for this level of cognition that I'm already applying to her that yeah. it's ridiculous. So let's do that. Let's switch things and, and, and look at things from a newborn's brain perspective. What is going on with them? Yeah, I think it's so, I mean, I see when I work with people how transformative it is to understand this. So infants' brains, so human infants' brains are really undeveloped at birth. Um, a lot a lot of um, necessary parts of the brain are connected. So I like to talk about, you know, three, the brain has like thousands of parts, but we'll talk about three sort of general parts. Um, the first part is the brain stem. So sort of like the, the very back of the brain, the core of the brain. And this is regulating um, breathing, temperature, um, everything that keeps the baby alive, basically. So a baby is able to do these things in a very, you know, a low level, like they'll still develop, but they're born with that. And then the next part is the emotional brain. So the emotional brain is the part of the brain that's really, really important um, to connect in a positive way in early life because it's really, really plastic in babies and it's it's seeking input um, at all times. Um, and the third part is sort of our cognitive thinking brain. And that doesn't, that does start to develop in infancy, but it really, really um, matures sort of after three years um, kind of thing. So when we're thinking about what is going on with our baby, they're really kind of living in an emotional social world. Um, and they're really attuned um, to that, to, to, to relationships um, in early life. Um, they're also building motor skills and sensory skills. Um, but, um, but the emotional stuff is sort of what is, is most important for us to know about. And when we talk about the rep, the the reptile brain is that more just the brainstem or the brainstem and the emotional brain together i think usually um it's usually when people talk about the reptile brain they're talking about the amygdala so that amygdala is part of the emotional brain and the amygdala is um the part of our brain that alerts us to to fear um and threats in the environment um and it also is involved in positive things but yes usually usually people refer to to um that the emotional brain but um but the brain stem is is also a really really primitive part of the brain mm-hmm. yeah. so in terms of like from what you just said it was very interesting to me that that cognitive functioning starts kicking in more around three years old which kind of answers that question of like can you spoil your baby can, mm-hmm. <laughs> is can, so I let's jump into that even though I'm going to jump I had questions I'm going to jump around the order can okay. you can you spoil your baby yeah absolutely not so the one the biggest message about having um the emotional brain be so plastic and having the cognitive brain not developed yet in infants is parents kind of have to be a missing brain part to their babies so within the emotional brain, there's a stress system. And so the stress system in babies can easily get activated both, you know, in positive arousing situations, but also in, in stressful uh, situations too. And in us adults, our cognitive brain is what can shut off our stress system. But because that's not developed in babies, they just don't have the ability to do that. And so when they cue, um, when they are, you know, overstimulated or, or stressed out, they actually are requiring the parent to act as sort of a missing brain part to them. So um, if we're talking about spoiling an infant, um, that usually means like, don't, 
don't respond to every cry, let them figure it out themselves, um, that kind of stuff. And they just physically aren't able to do that. So, um, so every time we do respond um, and help them regulate their stress and regulate their arousal levels, we're lending them our brain a little bit, our, our developed brain, and we're also teaching their system how to regulate later on in a positive way. Yeah, and I think that is like if that is such a huge concept to take away. If you take any nothing else away from this episode today, take that away from it, mm-hmm. listener, because it's the idea that you know, if you could, I always talk about how those first three months, especially, we should have pouches. We're like carrier mammals. We should, it's more like a kangaroo relationship than what we have. And yeah. how much of not only just that brain of that cognitive brain of regulating them that way, but also like with the skin to skin, regulating their temperature, regulating their breathing response, regulating like you are kind of their nervous system for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that would be so nice if we had a pouch and <laughs> we didn't need to use the wrap up an infant the carrier slings, every yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. why we have so many of them sometimes, right? It's like, um, but yeah, absolutely. So, so stress, you know, I, that's sort of what I've studied and that's like always where I go to, but um, it's linked to everything else you talked about. So regular heartbeat, regular heart. Um, yeah. Regular heartbeat. Uh, regular breathing, temperature control, um, oxygen in the blood, glucose in the blood, everything stays stable um, when the baby has access to to regulation from from a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so, so important. So hugely important. So it's not that they're trying to like get you to do thing and you're like, oh, you're manipulating me or I'm going to spoil you if I give you this too much. It's like you're actually missing this part of you. It hasn't evolved yet or developed yet. Let me, I've got to step in. Um, Yeah, absolutely. It's hard because those first few months are all, you have to give so much before you even get a damn smile, right? (laughs) Yep. Oh, yeah. When you get that smile, it is good. It is a good day. Yes, right? It's a one-way relationship. But I think even having that knowledge of why it's like that can be a bit of, more of I don't know centering grounding less crazy making absolutely and the other thing I would add to it is um so so the fear with spoiling and with and with all that kind of stuff is is dependency and really our babies are we're interdependent in those in the beginning um our nervous systems you know they're completely interdependent and by responding and and providing that regulation to the baby that is what makes their nervous system strong and independent later on when it's appropriate. Um, and if we, if we don't give, uh, you know, regular um, responses and, and calm them down when they need to be calmed down, that actually does make them more, not make them, but it increases the possibility that they'll be more dependent and anxious later on. If we're not responding or how about over responding, like what is optimal respondingness, uh, responsiveness yeah. versus like rescuing or ignoring? Yes, that's a really good question. And that's actually um, something I'm thinking about all the time with my baby now. Um, because, you know, we talk about, oh, you know, keeping baby close is nurturing and responding constantly is nurturing, but you don't want to go over over the top too because um because babies do also need some independence and independent play and all that kind of stuff too um so so yeah so i think i think looking spending time to really speak baby and sort of figuring out what the baby's communication is is so important for that um because a book can't tell you how to do it an expert can't tell you how to do it the baby is kind of the one who's going to, who's going to be cueing um, what they need. So, so yeah, I find that, I find that in my everyday life really interesting. So, you know, my, my baby right now, he's like really happy uh, on his own for, you know, for, you know, different periods of time in the day. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, should I be going over and interacting with him and doing some, you know, back and forth conversation, but he's playing and he's happy and when he when he's not 
then he'll, he'll, you know, I'll listen for it. He'll say, Hey, come and get me. And that's sort of the time to, to change it up. Yeah. And I think there's so many questions I have regarding that because then we step into like, yes, babies, what is this cueing and how how can we tune into the different cues and also the different temperaments? Because how long a baby can play by themselves really varies baby to baby. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get deep into that. We'll be right back. If you're pregnant and looking for a truly connected way to learn about birth while pampering your body and soul, then you need to know about the Birth Class Retreat. The Birth Class Retreat is a magical way to combine your childbirth preparation with an all-inclusive, relaxing weekend getaway in Lake Tahoe, California. And as a birthful listener, you'll even get a discount. The next one is coming up in May, so if you're expecting the summer or in the fall, don't miss this magnificent way to turn off the nitty-gritty of daily life and prepare in a beautiful place with trained birth professionals and childbirth educators. At the retreat, you will enjoy prenatal yoga, an extensive and comprehensive childbirth preparation course, dedicated postpartum and infant feeding workshops, incredible food, and free time to explore. Leave the birth class retreat feeling more confident and calm for your positive birth experience. The next pregnancy retreat will take place May 16th through the 19th in North Lake Tahoe, California, just 40 minutes from the Reno Tahoe Airport, three and a half hours from San Francisco, or one and a half from Sacramento. This unique retreat is best suited for expectant couples or single persons with a friend or support person as it is based on double occupancy lodging in well-appointed private cabins. People love this retreat because it's a magical and unforgettable way to designate time to focus on this pregnancy and prepare together for a transformative experience. Give yourself the gift of preparation and sign up today at birthclassretreat.com. For a limited time, receive 10% off with the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's birthclassretreat.com. And we're back talking about the world according to your your newborn. So... Uh, from what I'm hearing, <laughs> you have a lovely baby that likes to play by himself. <laughs> I know it's it's pretty amazing because he is. It's not all babies will do that at 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 the age he's at. Absolutely not. Um, they're all so different. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that. Of you know, we always hear that babies don't come with their own instruction manual, but in fact they kind of do. So maybe mm-hmm. it's that it's written in a different language. What are some ways that parents can learn that language and figure out how their baby is communicating? Yeah, this is this is probably, you know, the most important thing for people to focus on um, when, yeah, when they want to enrich the baby. So, I mean, I feel like I learned it. My grandmother was so incredible with babies. I feel like on some level, I remember my interactions with her. And she kind of passed that on to my mom and my aunt. And um, so I sort of saw it modeled a lot um, growing up with my cousins and and in my family. Um, And even now spending time with my mom and my son, I'm catching on to more of, of the tips and tricks to do it. But I think it sort of goes like this. The first step is figuring out a way to just breathe for a second and get really calm um and if people have all different ways of of doing that but you want to be present and calm and then just walk and and really observe your baby so you know for scientists like me i've spent so much time observing behavior um and it doesn't you know it's not something we always do so it's sort of a new thing for people um so yeah really observing your baby's behavior think like how do they vocalize? How do they move? Um, and then kind of from there, you can, you'll start to sort of put it together. Like, oh, they're asking for food. They're asking to be picked up. They're, they're 
calm and cool and, and okay by themselves for a minute. Um, does that sort of answer the question? Yeah, no, that is the, yeah. definitely like the, the approach to go about. And then yeah. are there some signaling that is kind of more standard for different types of, of, of action? So for example, like we know you have babies have sleep cues and hunger cues mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the each baby's going to do it slightly different but there are a lot of commonalities in it and you know if you're if baby's hungry there tends to be lip smacking and sticking out the tongue and sort yeah. of like if you give i personally find giving baby a voice as that you are yeah. observing can be really helpful in figuring out what's going on so it's like oh i can see that you're looking for that boob your head's moving to one side and the other and you're opening your mouth where is that mm -hmm. boob where is that boob? like it's a ridiculous commentary but it can help me understand you know get to that level yeah absolutely so that's doing a lot of things that's really helping i love that um and it also is verb is verbal input for the baby too right it helps them understand their internal world and what's going on with them mm. um so that's like a whole other you know um thing that i like to do as well is sort of like okay you're getting you're getting really excited right now um, you know, yeah, you're looking around the room, maybe there's too much going on. Is it too loud? Is it, you know, what's happening? Um, yeah, really playing like, sort of like investigator detective with the baby out loud. So that's a really great way um, mm. to start out. Because they have yeah. not necessarily strong verbal communications, but it's this nonverbal communication and also tying it into their abilities of how much they can stay awake or do like can you speak mm -hmm. to that moment of overstimulation because i think that's something that parents don't new parents yeah. don't really necessarily know about yeah absolutely so so yeah i think that's that is a really great point so one of the one of the things that really benefits babies is something like in academia called serve and return and people can Google that and look up some videos on it, uh, but it's essentially turn-taking in both verbal and nonverbal communication with the baby. And when we're doing that, and even if we're just playing with the baby in any way that we're playing with the baby, sometimes they'll just really need a break and they'll look away. And it's important to notice that um, because they do need a break because their brains actually, babies' brains are making 1 million connections per second is wild um they're really going through a lot so so they they'll look away and need a break it's important to just sort of stop and give them that break if if someone doesn't know about that they might be like oh i'll put my face in front of the baby over here and then and continue to maintain that eye contact or that play and that can be quite intrusive for 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 babies um and then they could end up getting overstimulated too so it's great to observe that kind of behavior too. Um, another sign of, of a baby who's kind of had enough play or, or is overstimulated is when they, um, when their body gets un unorganized. So like flailing their arms and legs um, and sort of not being balanced on both sides of their body physically. Um, that's another sign that it's time to, to, to get more relaxed and sort of change the activity. Yeah. So, and, and I can, like, as you're talking, I'm seeing babies do this in my head, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and it's so important because sometimes you'll miss it and then you'll get a baby that goes quickly from, I was telling you I'm done to. Yeah. 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 And that's okay. Like, you know, I think there's like so much pressure to, to be perfect and it's, you know, it's so okay to miss a cue and, um, and just do better next time. You know, like there's no, there's nothing, you know, bad you can do, um, you know, in that, in that kind of thing is, you know, you're interacting, you're listening, you're doing your best. Um, you know, I don't want anyone to be sort of judging themselves that they're not doing it know perfectly because there is no such thing as that at all babies oh, are hard to understand absolutely and it's a learning process you guys are both learning you're trying to figure out who this little person is and it's it's more of like the more you do it 
the more you'll get, you'll figure out and find your baby's rhythm. Because I think that's also an important concept of, mm-hmm. of you know, yeah, and that relates to their personality, like how often they feed, how often they sleep. Like for each baby, that rhythm is going to be different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and change over time. Yes, absolutely. And actually could probably get easier over time, the communication. And then it gets worse and then it gets easier. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. This too will change. Um, Are you familiar with Dung's baby language? No. Oh, okay. So I'll link this in the show notes, but I think this would be really fascinating for you. And it works best like the first weeks of life so like that newborn period so you're in it but it was this woman who last named dunst who um and i can't remember her first name who had um photographic hearing so she was a musician but that could really like discern tonalities in an incredible way and then she had a baby and she was like ah i can hear that you are making five different sounds depending on your needs. So, you know, like you have different, like it's very easy vi- visually to see a hunger cue versus a sleepy cue. Sometimes they're mm-hmm. very related, but yeah, like in general, they, they're different. Yeah. Um, well, she could do, she could hear different sounds. So she came up with five different sounds um, and, and they have to do with physiology. So, and how, like if a baby's hungry, they're opening their mouth in a certain way and that expels a sound that it's more like, ah, and there's this sort of sometimes ah. panting. And if they're gassy, it's one way. Or if And I cannot, for the life of me, remember those five, like what they are to like say them right now for you guys. <laughs> but right. yeah, but there are five and they there's an app for it. I think it's called uh, Baby Ears. I'll link oh, it on the cool. show notes. And so you can practice tuning into these sounds. And sometimes they're really hard to hear, but it's just that idea of like, practice is it's the process it's not an achievement it's it, it's another tool to help you tune in a little bit to your baby because mm-hmm. i find culturally it is what it is but also it, it is to me a little sad that babies have elimination cues as well just as, as they have feeding cues yeah. and hunger cues uh, hunger cues and sleeping cues but we kind of since we do diapers we disregard those cues and so quickly babies go like oh nobody's paying attention to this one i'm not just like then i won't do this anymore mm-hmm. yeah whereas in other cultures that don't have diapers <laughs> those babies are cued in my parents are cued into how this baby eliminates from day one because they don't want messes yeah they need to yeah, yeah. that's amazing yeah that's true yeah um I was really surprised to hear how quickly sort of people can learn elimination communication. Mm-hmm. That's something I learned about recently. Um, I have an episode on it and, oh, it, cool. the, and it, the person, you should go check it out because the person is fantastic. And, it, and I, I love the message that it's not black or white. It's not that you have to do, and you can just do peas and, and not poos. And you can do just night, you know, just days and not nights. And you can right. very, you know, and if you haven't done it right away, it, it doesn't mean you can't start at six months. Like it's, it, she's great. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll send it to you and I'll put it on the show notes. That sounds great. Yeah, of course. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about this instruction manual, your baby's instruction manual. Hey, Mighty One, as you approach the journey into birth and parenthood, now is the perfect time to make your home a serene and nurturing haven with the help of Home Threads. At Home Threads, you'll discover furniture designed for comfort and functionality, from cozy nursing chairs to versatile baby-friendly storage, as well as a super wide array of options to spruce up any room in your house. Home Threads can help make your home the perfect nest for your growing family and at a great value. I so appreciate that wide range of styles that you can find at Home Threads. For example, I was ecstatic when I found a pair of truly stunning mid-century curved walnut dining chairs that somehow perfectly match my home office chair. I mean, what are the chances? These chairs are not only gorgeous in their light green upholstery, but also super sturdy and just so comfortable. I simply adore them. 
Explore the amazing finds Home Threads has waiting for you. Go to homethreads.com slash birthful and get a code for 15% off your first order. Do make sure to go to our unique URL of homethreads.com slash birthful to get your discount. Home Threads, love where you live. And we're back talking with Bria Kirschenbaum about the world according to your newborn. So in terms of this instruction manual, um, what are some, are there some other things that are really good for people to know? Hmm. Well, you know, I still hear a lot of people talking about having babies on really strict schedules um, and that kind of stuff and, and following books that have like really strict orders of how to structure the day and all that kind of thing. And I, I would really say, try using the baby first. Um, and I know that, that that can be really intimidating. And, and, you know, a lot of parents are, are nervous about, about taking care of a baby and really want to know, like, how much time should I play and how much time should I feed and all these kinds of things. Um, but every day is going to look different. And, and babies are, you know, biological organisms who have different needs every day and different, you know, you know, sort of schedules every day. So, I mean, not totally different, but um, I would love if parents could, could do that. And, and that something that goes along with that is really being confident in your, in your parenting abilities. And we all have them built into us. So, you know, parents, we have massive brain changes when we become parents and we knowing about that, I think helps people be more confident that they sort of have these superpowers of, of parenting that they didn't have before. And we're all so capable of doing this. We just need the confidence to do it. Yeah. Oh, so much. And and I think it goes back to what you were saying of, you know, you don't have to get it perfect every time. And yeah. I think that leads into the other question I had for you that in that those level of, of expectations, we often think, oh, I'm going to ruin baby's life. Mm-hmm. I've done this and now I've ruined him, her, her for life. Yeah. Have we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, no, the answer is no. So, I mean, there's so much uh, flexibility, like I said, a million connections per second um, in the first few years. So, you know, we can always repair. And so that's like the first few years. But, you know, our brains also maintain a lot of plasticity throughout our lives. It just gets a lot harder to change things once we're older. Um, but, you know, parents can repair 40 years later. You know, we repair is a very, very powerful, powerful thing. So, you know, let's say, you know, sometimes we have bad days when we're a parent and we're not able to show up in the way that we wish we could all the time. And sort of that's okay. Like that's, that's life. Like that's, that's the way things work, you know, and sort of saying to the baby, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really sorry that I raised my voice. I shouldn't have done it. Um, You know, I'm going to try my best you know, to do better from now on, um, that can go a long way. Um, even, even to talk to an infant that way, even, you know, much more powerful once, you know, language is fully understood, but it's okay. It's okay to, to, to make mistakes and repair. Well, and I think that also is teaching them that like, like giving them tools for how to, work with their own emotions later on because just like we have bad days and we can't (laughs) and we're you know they push our buttons and we're like oh i'm so frustrated right now with you Um, like even expressing that gives them words to do the same of realizing it's okay to have those emotions just not to hurt people with them yeah absolutely and also modeling goes so so far so yeah our babies are always mirror like they're mirroring almost everything that we say and do um they're yeah on so many levels so emotional mirroring is like sort of an emerging concept and 
in neuroscience now where, you know, emotions are contagious essentially. So, and that doesn't mean like we should be hiding our, our negative emotions or negative feeling emotions from our, our kids, but we should be doing exactly what you said. So, you know, we get angry. Um, they'll feel that anger too, because their brain kind of can pick up on our physiology, but having, you know, adult tools to deal with anger and deal with negative feeling emotions and having our children observe us go through that, that whole, you know, arousal and regulation um, is so important for their emotional health later on. When are they able to go through that arousal and regulation on their own? Is this like the three-year thing? It starts about, it starts around that time. So, so we talked about the amygdala before the amygdala is a really important brain area that sort of gets activated when, um, when we're, when we're feeling stressed or afraid or, or fear, feeling fear. Um, and then we need our prefrontal cortex to develop connections to sort of shut off the amygdala. So the amygdala is like, I'm afraid I'm stressed out. And our thinking brain can say, Oh, it's okay. We've experienced this before. It's not, you know, we're going to be safe. It's not a big deal. And so that can quiet the amygdala. And so those two brain regions really need to have quite complex interactions. Um, so that emerges around age three, um, but it can take, you know, throughout childhood um, to be to be really mature. And, um, you know, our brain, our brain never stops changing throughout our whole life, but we estimate that it's adult and fully formed, like somewhere between 25 and 30 years old. Which explains so much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and adolescence is a whole different thing. So, oh my um, yeah, but yeah, but we can't, I mean, people expect babies to do very adult things, um, like calm down on their own, um, control their behavior, make choices, all these kinds of things um, that they're just not, they don't have the brain parts to do. And is that why, like, what is going on with the twos? What the, you know, the terrible twos. I'm, I'm, I'm putting that together and going like, there was so much my daughter could do at two, but the fact that she didn't have this sort of, you know, neofrontal cortex to help her regulate, yeah, made so much sense in those tantrums and choices because there's, it's like I want it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, um, that's a, a really, really hard time um it's really frustrating um you know for many reasons in in that age that that there's things that children want to do but they can't either physically or mentally do it um it's difficult to you know transition there's so many so many difficult things um and it's the best tool for parents during that time is again to be this external brain and to not be afraid of the tantrums and be af- not to be afraid of these huge explosions of emotion, but to be able to sit with, with your child and just say, and, and label the emotions. I, you know, this is sort of Dan Siegel's work, which is great, um, is, is sitting with them and say, I know, I, I'm imagining you might be really, really angry right now that we need to, you know, get our coat on and leave the house. Um, I get it. Um, I'm here for you and sort of let them experience it and not try to shut it down or, or, or inhibit it. That's actually not the best example because sometimes you really need to leave the house, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Well, and, and you're like, I remember my reaction and like a general reaction when you're trying to get out of the house or you're out in the supermarket and your kid's suddenly throwing a tantrum, you just, you know, there's so easy to then back to that emotions being contagious, it, contagious, it's hard for you not to go like, oh, be frustrated yeah. and then go like, you need to stop or we're leaving now, you know, and then yeah. there was, it's so hard. It's so hard. But there yeah. was, if you're not in a rush, I mean, I feel like if you're not in a rush, it's, you know, sometimes you just need to like, you know, pick up the, your your child and, you know, move on. But if you're not in a rush, it is great to um, to be able to just sort of sit with them and let, let it happen. Mm-hmm. 
So if we take it back to more little ones, right? Not so not the two year olds, but like yeah. the the months old. Um in terms of when they're having a really hard time and sort yeah. of in that unconsolable place, yeah. what are some things parents can do to help them out? Yeah, so this is a, another, that's a great point I love to teach people too, is sometimes without knowing how important the parent's input is to the child's brain to be close, people think, oh, well, if they're going to be crying in my arms or crying out of my arms, what's the difference? Um, and there's a huge difference. So when as difficult and, you know, it's so difficult, um, as it is to hold a, you know, a crying baby who's just, you know, you know, that they're not hungry, uncomfortable, um, or anything that you can immediately solve for them. And sometimes they just need to cry, um, holding them close, walking around, if it's possible, putting them in a carrier, um, speaking in low tones, singing, talking to them, all this kind of stuff eventually will regulate them or, or at least allow them to be, to feel safe while they experience whatever they're experiencing, whatever negative feeling they're experiencing. And I can't remember what research, I don't have it off the top of my head, and maybe you are more familiar with the research I'm thinking of that compared like what happened to babies' stress hormones when in this unconsolable state state while being held versus not being held. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the stress, their stress levels do get to a very high level if they're not being held. And when they're in your arms, like I said, you're being, you're being like this missing brain part for them. So you actually are regulating them. It, it appears like you're not, it appears like they're just crying and they won't stop. Um, so you might think, oh, well, they're not, their stress is still really high, but actually the parent really buffers their stress levels. So their stress level doesn't get to a very high point in arms versus out of arms. Which I find is such a revelation because it, when you're in it, it can be so frustrating that nothing's working, but just yeah. knowing that you are making a difference by holding that baby can mm -hmm. be like, okay, I am making a difference. Like this is yeah. going to end. It's going to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm doing my job. I'm doing a good job. Um, you know, I'm being, I'm here for, I'm here for my baby and, and, and verbalizing it too. And just say, I'm here for you. I know that this, you know, being in my arms is, is feeling good. Um, you know, express what you need to. Um, yeah. Talking through it helps a lot as well. But it's it is tough. It's so tough. But I think it's also important to realize that if because of what you're saying of emotions being contagious and 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 we all know this, if somebody walks into a room all cranky pants, we can feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. if you're getting more anxious or you're getting more upset, your baby's also gonna feel. So even though you might be care holding them and bouncing and doing all this, if you're like, oh, can you just stop? Can you just stop? Mm -hmm. That energy is canceling out. Or to an extent, anything that you're doing. So if you can like take deep breaths and calm your nervous system. Yeah. Yes. That is the best parenting tool. I mean, when, when I'm with a baby and my, and my own baby in that, in that kind of situation, I just try to do, like you said, very deep breaths, sometimes attempt to like meditate a little bit. Um, although it is hard, but at least control, you do have control over your breath. So that I feel like is the best tool in that situation. Mm, and I did a lot of work with, or an episode with Parijat Deshpande, who does a lot of work about high-risk pregnancy um, and how, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes also, although it's a different topic, but how your mind and body are so connected that sometimes we're often going cognitive and trying to like calm the mind to calm the body. But if you can calm the body, then the mind's going to follow. So mm -hmm. especially when you don't have much time for that yeah. mind to do their work, that doing yeah. it the other way around, just like forget the mind, focus on the breath that yeah. can work faster. Yeah. Knowing that it's knowing maybe even just being a little cognitive in the beginning and being like, this is temporary my baby will calm down and now let me calm down and then just sort of riding, trying to, trying to ride through it and not, not work yourself up to be like, Oh, this is never going to stop. And 
this is bad. You know, you, you know that I'm doing, I'm doing my best. I'm doing a great job right now. I'm going to calm down and then this will pass. Hmm. Greer, what about the differences between like the concept of attachment versus attachment parenting and kind of like going back to that, what, you know, what are those effects in terms of how your experience shapes your brain, your early experiences shapes your brain and shapes your mental health, like mm-hmm. in terms of confidence levels or dependency and interdependency, what are some I don't even know, like, what are some experiences that can negatively shape mental health in the long run yeah. um, that people so, should be aware of? Yeah, I think that the, the thing that's so exciting about, like, what I want everybody to know about and um, trying to write a book about it and try to just get this out is the neuroscience research that's been done in the past, like, 10 to 15 years um, is really complementary of... Um, the psychology that's been around since like the fifties, since like uh, Bowlby um, and how important sort of showing like real, you know, neurobiology about how a secure attachment can shape an emotional system in the brain. So when um, we respond sort of in a positive, reliable way to baby's distress, it physically builds multiple levels of the stress system in the brain. So this is the uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the HPA axis that people talk about a lot. Um, It builds neurotransmitter systems to be biased towards um, positive mental health. And um, it, it builds brain structures that way too. So other brain structures that way as well. So the, the things that would put the emotional brain at risk um, for poor mental health and other sort of um, social social risks um, like like confidence and and learning and all these other kinds of things um, would be to sort of reliably ignore cues um, ignore distress cues and also to not respond to them in a reliable way so so babies, um, psychology, and and their neuroscience depend on knowing that they have access to be calmed down, and this is for infants and you know all the way up um, to even adults, right? Like we we also we seek out regulation from other people um, as well as adults. So and babies need it even more. So I think that babies feel the best and also their brains are built the strongest when they have no question in their mind when I'm upset and and feel bad when I'm stressed that I know that I can rely on someone to to make that better so to sum it all up does have your baby's back (laughs) yes exactly Which is something we all want. It's true. Like, we all want to feel that if things get really bad, somebody there is going to be, you know, there for us. Yes. That makes total sense. Absolutely. So I hope that this spoiling kind of stuff is um, going out the window and we can we can move move past it. Well, and knowing that, you know, for quite a bit, you don't have to you can't set down bad habits or I guess can you I didn't ask I didn't ask the question can you set down bad habits no no not at all um it's not no it's not it's not possible so yeah there's you know you don't want to we talked about a little bit about responding over responding or sort of what people call helicopter parenting um but that's not that's not what we're talking about here um no, you can't. You definitely can't set up bad habits. And every time your baby gets distressed, it's helpful to respond. Yeah, and I guess it's not so much bad habits as learned response. So, yeah, the in terms of the uh, over responding and, and and that helicoptering, like if your child is trying to figure out that okay, if I do this, people are going to respond reliably. Mm-hmm. Um, but that no matter what they do, people over respond does that have like just as negative effects as if they weren't responding reliably? 
that's a really good question. I need to look into that. Um, I know that over responding can be intrusive. Um, and that could be stressful in itself. Um, but yeah, I need to look further into that question. I don't know the answer to that. And I guess that kind of answers my question. Like what I was looking for is like, why is over responding right. <laughs> negative, right? Why did, was right. that cause problems? Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that it, that's it in itself. It could just be, it could be stressful because I mean, a secure attachment is, has two sides. It's, it's being reliably there when stress is there to, to calm the baby, but it's also giving opportunities for exploration and curiosity and independence. Um, and so sometimes attachment parenting can be confused um, with maybe this sort of helicoptering thing where you're always, you have the baby on always and you're always there and always um, present and not giving those opportunities for exploration and, and independence. Um, and the key word there is giving the opportunities for it, because if you, if you present the opportunity to your baby and they, and they don't want it, then you want to listen to that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they say no, thank you. Yeah. Then you're like, okay, we'll try it again some other time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So, as we wrap up, is there anything you want to make sure we leave that the listeners like didn't, we didn't get to that you want to make sure people know about? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think the best things to take home are, well, actually, yeah, one thing I, I mentioned before that I sort of learned the stuff firsthand and sort of ex grew up in a family where babies communication was, was, you know, fond over and highly valued and everyone's like oh look they're making this noise and you know really really noticing the things that going on going on with the baby but i think now maybe that's hard it's 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 not that way for a lot of people um and and like i said i'm you know i'm still learning learning that kind of stuff from my mom um with my own baby right now i think it's a really great idea to get someone like that in your life if you're questioning it so I mean, postpartum doulas are infant experts. They spend all their time communicating and, and understanding babies. Um, and, and either that or a friend or a family member, someone who like speaks baby, I think is like, would be really great to support new families. Mm, try to show you the way. Note. Yeah. 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 And then build your own confidence with it too. Exactly. Because... Exactly. And, and I, I so love that and, and, and appreciate that approach instead of like trying to find that answer in keeping logs and keeping schedules and adhering to a structure, which is not necessarily, it ta actually takes you away from observing the baby. Yeah, I think that's it. I think people really want to, I think every single parent wants to do the best possible thing. And sometimes that worry kind of would get channeled into that, you know, over scheduling and, and all that kind of stuff. But if we could sort of channel it into um, just understanding baby communication and growing your confidence, um, that will be so helpful for everybody, I think. Mm -hmm. Career, if people want to connect with you and follow what you're doing and learn more about, you know, this upcoming book that I'm just going to put it out there. It's an upcoming book. Um, where can they do that? Um, so I have, um, I communicate the most on Instagram. And so my, my company is called Nurture Neuroscience. So you could find me on Instagram there. And then I'll have a link to my website um, on my Instagram page. And um yeah. And then something new I'm doing is um, creating an infant sleep educator program with uh, Bebo Mia. Bebo Mia. I love I'm Bebo really Mia. That. Yeah, they're amazing. So, um, yeah, if anyone wants to, you know, look into that, too, that's another way that we're going to we're going to get this information out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did a I'll link it to the show notes just because, again, it's more things that relate. <laughs> I did a yeah. show with uh, with the Bebo, Bebo gals. Bebo Babes um, a while ago. So I'll link it on the show notes too. Cool. Thank you so very much. This was a lovely talk. Thank you so much. 
Mighty Ones. Find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful, so come say hi. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thank you so, so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada.